Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another show, to show day today. But I've got to end it today with a very special guest, a guy who we've always well respected on the channel. Johnny, Johnny, how are you doing today, man? Oh, doing pretty good. I uh, did a show last night with Jason Hurley. Uh, so, man, it's, uh, you know, we're, we're getting into the off-season vibe, I guess. Uh, it's always the least favorite part of the year, but, you know, it's one of those that, especially, you know, under the circumstances that our off-season has kicked off on. But, you know, it is what it is, and we're looking forward to 2023. Yeah. Uh yeah, we are. That That's something to say. And before we start, I got to say, I do like your uh, drip today. I mean, the hat's cool and all, but the shirt, shirt's on point. Hey, uh, this this shirt was given to me by my friends at Manscaped. Uh, no, I'm not going to go into a long plug. I know people are used to that on my channel. Uh, but, you know, they've been they've been a good friend of the show and they have helped everything and they are helping uh, sponsor some off-season content. So, you know, I'm going to rep my Manscaped. Uh, I have everything from the beard trimmer to every other trimmer and, and they're just fantastic products. That's great. That's great. Y'all, you got to check that out for sure. But we got to get into this because, I mean, the 49ers, it's clear that similar to fans, the loss didn't really sit well with many players. Uh, you've heard a lot of comments. Brandon Ayuk was the first one to talk about it. Jimmy Ward talked about it on that Instagram Live. And then we heard this week during Media Row Week, we've heard uh, Debo Samuel talk and George Kittle. Well, uh, not George Kittle. Chris McCaffrey talk about it as well as Robbie Gould. We've heard a lot of different comments. What do you think? You know, I, I think it's very much the what the after effects of when a team doesn't feel like they were beat. Uh, when you look at that game, you know, I had people message me and, and comment on different videos and say, hey, are you going to break down the Eagles game, the NFC championship game? You, you should break that down. And I'm like, and my response to everybody was, there's nothing to break down. It was the video is literally going to be an intro. And then and here. Brock Purdy gets hurt. The end. You know, that that's the analysis of the game that we we had no quarterbacks. Uh, Josh Johnson, even if he's in the game, Josh Johnson was signed, what, week 11? I mean, he was signed when Jimmy Garoppolo got yeah, hurt. Yeah, week 13. So, yeah. yeah, week 13, okay. So he'd only been with the team for a month and a half, two, not even fully two months. And you can't expect that that guy's going to come in and you're going to have any sort of offense against one of the better defenses in the championship game. If this was week 16, okay, maybe, but I mean, if there was no realistic chance and then he gets hurt and there really was no chance. And uh, I mean, it was just, it's a game that I, 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 we talked about this before we came on the air and I said that I, I bounced back faster after this game because 2021 uh, felt like, felt like we ran out of steam just seven minutes too too late mm -hmm. or too early you know it was just like the the team was on this emotional run for so long and they ran out of steam right at the end they they had the game and they lost it and it slipped away this game just felt like it was taken from you it felt like it was taken from you by injury that there that you were not beat you lost and that's a completely different feeling for teams uh, and players when you feel like you were not beat you lost and i think that's what you're seeing in the result of all this because they're they're sitting there what else are they supposed to say i mean i i, I agree with what devo samuel said because if you're if you put put yourselves in their shoes are they supposed to say that we believed going into that game that we were not going to win no absolutely not 
you know, they believed going into that game that they were going to win. Did anything happen in that game to say your plan going in would not have worked? No, your quarterbacks got hurt. You couldn't run the plan you had. The end. They have no reason. There was no proof put on on the field, nothing that said that their plan would not have worked. And so why should they believe anything else? It wasn't proven wrong. It, they lost. They were not beat. So I don't blame them at all for being as salty as they are and, and having the attitudes they are. That is what you should expect. You should expect your team to feel like, yes, we would have won if we had a quarterback. So, you know, I, I, Eagles fans can be mad about it. I don't care. I, I Eagles fans have catapulted themselves into one in maybe the worst fan base in the NFL. In my mind, I blocked so many people uh, at, during that game, after that game. And because I had I had people that I don't even know, they were tweeting at me, they were messaging, they were DMing me on my Twitter, foul things. I mean, uh, it, it was it was more profanity than actual words. And I'm going, what in the world? Like call me all sorts of names. I'm like, who are you? And there's just these Eagles fans. I mean, it was literally in the hundreds uh, of people that I was blocking. So um, I have zero zero respect for the Philly fans. Uh, I have a good friend who's a Philly fan. Uh, we decided that we weren't going to talk about it. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's one of, they sent me to a dark place. I'll be honest. I had to delete a tweet. Uh, I was, I was, I was wishing that, uh, Eagle, the Eagles would feel the same pain that we did. I wanted to see the Eagles try and compete in the Super Bowl without any healthy quarterbacks. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry for wishing injury on anybody, but I was in a dark place and I was pushed there by Eagles fans. I guess I can accept some, oh, point, man, you know, yeah, the Eagles. Yeah. It was a, it was an interesting one. And I mean, I, I felt the same sentiment as you No, nothing really posted about the game as much just because there's nothing to talk about. And when he talks specifically about the players and their comments on the Eagles, I talked about it with Jack Hammer. Now, can you maybe argue that some of them are unnecessary or some are overblown? Yeah, but the 49ers, they aren't they aren't like uh, hiding it. They know that they're salty. Brandon Ayuk tweeted himself, "Yeah, I'm salty, but don't 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 pretend like I'm gonna come out of this and, and not sleep another second without uh, really caring about it. It, it." They are salty because they got uh, a game taken away where they didn't have a chance to compete. And the other part is they're asked questions. What do you think they're going to say when they're asked the question, what do you think could have happened? And so they're kind of being paved into the way to saying what they're saying. And yeah, I mean, you can critique it. I can see both sides of it, but I, it's the competitive nature. And I also think that you do go into the playoffs thinking your, your team's going to win. Now, when you have this overarching theme of saltiness and players believing that they're better maybe than they actually are, then maybe you have a culture problem. And maybe that's something that you address in the offseason. But at the moment, I think it's understandable, especially given that fans felt the same way uh, about the, how the game went. But yeah, enough on that, because we've got some fun draft talk to talk about. And before we start, Johnny, I, I wanted to ask you about your experience because you went to the Senior Bowl. And uh, I wanted to just ask you, how was the experience there? Man, it was great. Uh, Mobile is not that that far from me. It's about four and a half hours. So uh, I wasn't able to be down there the whole week. Uh, but the I did go and saw some practices. And like I left my house at five in the morning, drove straight down there. I had never been to the Senior Bowl. Uh, so it, it was it was a fun experience to drove straight to the stadium from my house to make practice and check in times for the credentialing. Now, I will say you would you would think that they would have a little more signage or direction for what's going on down there. I literally pulled on to the college campus of the University of Southern Alabama. When I was a little confused because uh, I just saw USA everywhere and I'm like, okay, okay, these people are very patriotic. And then it dawned on me, University of Southern <laughs> Alabama. Uh, but I went straight to the stadium following my, my Google Maps and there was no signs for like media parking nothing and they sent this really long email that said a lot but didn't tell you very much and about the check-in process it told you that what gate to go to but there's no map of where that gate is they tell you which parking lot to go to but there's no signs telling you where that parking lot is so i was pulled into the wrong parking lot i'd asked the security guard that was there he's like ah 
Yeah, I think so. This is your parking lot. I sat in the wrong parking lot for about a half hour. Finally found my way there. Uh, met uh, Wayne Breezy for the first time in person. Uh, you know, Wayne's a great guy. We hung out. Uh, we went out to dinner that night and and had a good old time. Had some uh, Alabama Gulf shrimp, which is some of the best shrimp in the country. So if you're ever in the South, go down to the coast of Alabama and, and go to the original oyster house, the original oyster house, fantastic food, no matter what you get. Uh, we, he had some real Southern hush puppies, which was, uh, fantastic. If you know, you know, uh, but it was a good time. The first day, um, it was just overcast and gray, saw some good prospects. Uh, they put, they stuck me in the North end zone during the game where there was literally no shade. It I was in the sun for six straight hours. I am just now recovering. Uh, my nose is not nearly as red as it was a few days ago. My forehead isn't as red as it was a few days ago. I got pretty burnt, uh, down there at the senior bowl, but there was some good players to see and some guys that I'm really excited about. Yeah, I think that's a it's a cool experience. I hope I get to go out there sometime over the next few years. It'd be a fun experience. Glad to see that, despite the difficulties, you still made it out there. Despite uh, and you had a good time. It seems. Let's talk about those prospects though, because there are a lot of a lot of prospects, a lot of talented players. Ooh, we got the credential yeah. too. Yeah, that, that's my go. that's there's my media credentials. It proves I was there. So, uh, yeah. See, it good time. it's not a ghost. It was actually the real Johnny Dell out there. It was. But talking on the prospects, let's not focus on the 49ers for a second because there are a lot of talented players there. A lot of players that either draft uh, draft stock rise, draft stock dropped. Who are the guys that caught your eyes? So there was one guy that it was real quick caught my eye. Uh, just the way he moved, the the way he was in warmups, individual drills into the seven on seven. A kid, he's a safety out of Illinois. Uh, mm-hmm. It is um, Sydney Brown. I had to. I, Brown. I, yeah. I, I I I I I always want to say Tyrell or something. I don't know why, but uh, I was like, wait, I know it's not that. So I looked down at my sheet. It's Sydney Brown, safety out of Illinois. Really, really liked what I saw out of this kid. Um, and it was it was all the way through. I mean, the way he carried himself through warmups, individual drills. They were doing. Uh, he was on the national team, and they were doing some one on ones with def- defensive backs versus tight ends and receivers in man coverage drills. And I will tell you, he looked better in man coverage than most of the corners that were out on the field. And because there there was a one particular matchup that was really fun to watch during those drills, which was him with Durham Payne or, or sorry, Payne oh. Durham, uh, the tight end out uh, of uh, Purdue. He yeah. Was, mm-hmm. yeah. OK, he was a, he was another guy that I was I was watching. He was smoking everybody. But the matchup of him and C- and Sidney Brown was was like a draw. You know, one w- he would maybe barely win on one rep and then Brown would win on the next one. And then we saw in the game. If you watch the game that uh, Durham, he he had a very good game. And what, what I saw in practice as far as um, the smoothness in, in his route running and bit, the way he would use his body to create leverage, it translated straight over into the game that he, he was uh, probably the national team's, in my opinion, their best receiver on the field as far as uh, guys that, that – you had a high probability of, of getting a catch when you threw their way. So to see Sidney Brown match up in man coverage on him in drills where they had, it was two way goes. They weren't just um, sitting there uh, with, with having the sideline as a help the whole time. Um, really, really impressed, especially from a safety. And then to see that translate into seven on sevens and where he, how sound he was in his coverage and reading the, the releases of the receivers that he was, he was rarely in the wrong place. Uh, he didn't get targeted hardly at all during seven on sevens or 11 on 11s or in the game. And there was a reason for that because he was always in position. Now, does he fall to us in the third round? I don't know. I, th- I, I feel like he helped his stock a lot there yeah. at the senior bowl. Um, I, it, it'll come down to the combine. The the biggest comp I can give for Brown, and it was it was crazy because I, I saw it real quick. I hadn't seen anybody else make this comparison, and then I was seeing this comparison all over the place after I after I left, but is Talanoa Hufunga. Um, the way he moves, his body size, uh, the the 
just the way he attacks the ball, he really, really reminds you of Hafanga. And I think that would be really interesting to have the ability to have mirrored safeties on uh, uh, with the team because we don't know what the status of Tayshawn Gibson is. We don't know what the status of Jimmy Ward is. And so, you know, I, like Eric Norris said, and I've told some people this, that Yes, you absolutely could always use. We have a bunch of picks. I don't think we're going to use all of them. We could move up into the second mm-hmm. if they really like Sidney Brown. He was a kid that I really, I've talked about him on a few different shows and a few different places that I'm really high on. If there was one guy that I said, if we could get one guy out of the senior bowl, Sidney Brown is that guy. I mean, there's a few other guys that I, I liked, but nobody I liked as much as Sidney Brown. That is a, a really good comparison and really good insight because there are a lot of intriguing parts about Sidney Brown. And I like the comparison you gave, Tano Hufunga, because he's a guy who can play in coverage, who's a guy who can kind of fill that role. But his number one and number two traits are the instincts and that quick range speed. And that's kind of what Hufunga has. He has that quick burst, but the instincts are really, really there. Brown does struggle in tackling a little bit. I've I've watched a solid amount of his tape, uh, obviously him being a Big Ten guy with me and the Big Ten. But Brown's an intriguing player for sure, and I do think that I agree with you with that second-round comparison at the moment. We'll see where exactly he ends up falling. But a knock, a knock on Brown at times uh, that people and analysts like to mention was the, uh, the, the issue against tight ends. But it's cool for you to mention that specific one because Payne Durham obviously is uh, a solid tight end, one of the better ones there it looked like, and Sidney Brown was able to match up. That's a that's a cool comparison that you brought out there. Yeah, uh, and you know it, it was he was just a guy again. He jumped off the field to you, you know, like like you know when you watch t- film of some guys, some guys jump off the tape. He jumped off the film, you know, sitting there. Why you just you? I just found myself consistently watching what he was doing and seeing how how solid of a player he was so you know he really jumped out to me another one guy that's intriguing to me i'm not sure how high he'll go uh go for it. is and and i'm not sure how i feel about him yet is a guy a linebacker dion henley uh okay. he's from washington state okay uh really good athlete really good athlete uh, he feels like he's pretty raw as far as a linebacker. So he was playing the mic there at the senior bowl. What I really liked about him is his range. And like I said, athletic ability, smooth hips uh, is able to change direction really quickly. He reminds you of a little bit smaller of a Dre Greenlaw. Um, as far as that, I, I do believe we will need to fill Aziz Alshire's spot this off season. I don't see, um, I don't see Alshire staying with us. I, I would be shocked if Al Shire is not in Houston next season. Right. Uh, so, you know, we Henley fits the mold of our kind of linebacker. Now, one thing that the, the knock I saw, at least from practices, and I haven't been able to go and watch a lot of film on him, is that he he looked like he wasn't uh, as as advanced scheme wise and um, and in in and identifying everything that he was seeing uh, struggled sometimes with strength calls. Uh, sometimes he, he struggled reading run pass, things like that. Now those are things that you can improve on that, that linebackers work on all the time that can be improved on what you can't teach is the speed he has. So again, where he impressed me, I, I came away. I, I had heard about him before I went down there early on in, in the first half of practice, I was kind of, eh, I don't know. And then they went back to some individual drills and he was covering running backs out of the backfield. And, and we all saw a lot of the, the coverage of running backs cooking everybody. Okay. Uh, I will say that when you're playing man coverage drills and it's running backs out of the, out of the backfield, that is one of the hardest things to cover. Corners will struggle doing that. Um, Henley covered just about every running back out of the backfield. And he and he it was able to do it with his athleticism is that he matched their speed, matched their change of direction. And so he was a guy that, again, is intriguing. Uh, the the raw athleticism, you know, he's going to be a, a guy that, that you would think would shoot up the draft board. But I, playing where he did and the production wasn't always there. And, you know, some of the, the bits of being raw will, um, I, I do believe that he will be within striking range of us uh, in the draft. So he's a guy I'm interested in uh, defensive. Line. Yeah. So I, are you familiar with Henley at all? I am uh, just because going into the senior bowl, there were a couple of linebackers that I thought, 
who could replace Aziz Elshire? Obviously, the number one name that everyone talked about, Ivan Pace out of Cincinnati, um, likely goes way too high for the 49ers to, to, to make a play for him. But Diane Henley, it, it, the range, it seems like, is somewhere between the second and the third, somewhere in that range. Maybe it, it could go either way because the athleticism is intriguing. And, I mean, when you talk about Diane Henley, it's interesting that you say that. I do want to ask you, though, um, how did he look in terms of the athleticism? Did it seem like what you, you had expected? Was that an area that really flashed for you in terms of his profile? Or what was kind of the area that you were impressed by? Absolutely. The athleticism. I mean, he, he was without question, the most athletic linebacker uh, at the senior bowl. Uh, there was nobody who matched his side sideline to sideline speed or change of direction. And again, the smoothness in the hips is something that I can't uh, overstate. And it's, that's one of those things that you, you kind of have to see it to really, really see it. And again, the, those running back one-on-one -on -one drills really showed that off because again, these running backs are coming out and they'll take an outside leverage and then cut back inside and his ability to flip his hips and attack the route is something that you don't see often from linebackers. Uh, you see that, that kind that's the kind of stuff that they expect and, and ask and look for from, uh, corners. So, you know, he, he had very unusual athleticism for a linebacker. That's cool. That's cool for sure. You were talking about the defensive line who caught your eye there. So there's one guy he's from Northwestern, uh, a Debawar, a Dedemiwa. Uh, he was a guy that, uh, you know, he's, he's an intriguing player because he, he uses his, he's not a tall guy. Okay. He's, and he's not a real big guy. He's like 284 pounds is what they have him listed on, on my, uh, senior bowl roster sheet, um, that, that they gave us. So, uh, but where he caught my eye first and people are going to think this is silly was actually in just the slow individual position drills uh you know where they're going around the the blocking dummies and things and and the bags he blew me away there it was it was more where more i he really made you take notice everybody i will tell you everybody in the stadium heard him going through the individual drills uh you you look over at the defensive linemen a lot of people love to go go look at the offensive linemen or the running backs or the receivers running the routes and things i love to see the defensive linemen because it tells you in my opinion who is going to be the worker um because you would look over there and you'd see some guys just kind of jogging through and ah, hand strike and ah, hand strike. Then you look at a Deba war. Okay. And he, you saw number 99 come out there and man, you'd hear him going through those drills. Ah, ah, you know, he was grunting and, and fighting and he was giving every single rep, every bit of energy and effort he had in individual drills at the beginning. Okay. This is a two hour practice. He's running, he's huffing, he's, he's going for it. He's, he's, he's attentive with his, with the coaches. I loved the effort, the motor. And then that translated over into the, the drills with the offensive line, the, the seven, the seven on seven, which is the front sevens on sevens. Um, on on each other in those drills with run fits and then in the 11 and 11s he absolutely gave every rep 100% effort he's a shorter guy he and he has a little bit longer arms he plays with really good leverage he what he reminded me of is a carry hider that's that's where i i would put my if i had a comp that's interesting form. because um, that's definitely an effort guy and i see you have a trend here of picking big 10 players maybe it's cuz i'm on the show but uh i got you i got you well, you know, it was guys that just, like I said, that jumped out at you and, and maybe it's because the big 10, you know, they know they had to show out at the senior bowl. Um, they right. don't come from the sec where every game is a showcase game. Um, you know, cause, uh, like, like a tight end that I, I liked is the tight end out of Alabama Latu. Um, you know, I think that's a guy that may fit into fall to us i i think the, his style falls to us but you know i didn't see anything there that made me you know change my mind about him or or that was way different than what i saw uh with him playing 75 miles for me in 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 tuscaloosa um you know alabama's defensive linemen they they were they were what you'd expect from an alabama defensive lineman they're they're going to be solid they're not going to see the field if they're not solid you can't go wrong with those guys but what it was just intriguing to see um, some of these guys that I wasn't as familiar with and see them just mm -hmm. kind of jump off, off the field to you. Um, 
you know, and I, I'll, I'll tell you, there was a guy from Wisconsin that uh, that intrigued me. I'll like, say though, yeah, Keanu, Keanu, that Benton. boy, Keanu Benton, yeah. Okay, like he, another guy, again, individual drills really impressed me. Uh, you know, he he had good bend for uh, a big guy. I mean, he was a he was a big guy, and he had some good bend. Uh, I, I will say another comp for that guy I would say a DJ Jones. Um, mm-hmm. That's who he kind of reminds me of. So you know, you're seeing these. It, what I was also looking for were guys that look to fit the 49ers and what we do and our culture. So those were the guys, you know, mostly, honestly, the American team, I think looked sharper in practice, but there was more guys from the national team that really kind of stood out to me. And I, I I think that was also one reason why the national team won. Uh, Another part was because the quarterbacks for the American team were trash. And they also were, they were missing several players that they had early in the week. uh, The American team did. Um, But you know that there there was those guys from the national team were, were guys that to me I would I would be absolutely thrilled we pick any of those guys. I I think that that's fair and I mean all three uh, or you might have said four players there but yeah, four. those are four talented players four really talented players and a couple of defensive linemen a linebacker in there and then the safety those are positions that the 49ers may need and look to target especially defensive lines a place where they've always targeted safety they have the vacant hole with. Jimmy Ward likely gone to Sean Gibson pending, uh, well, mulling retirement at the moment. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it'll be intriguing to see what they do. And uh, going back to one thing you said about the 49ers, they have a ton of capital in this draft, which means they could look to draft up, uh, trade up. Now, they did the same thing last year, had a good amount of capital, and elected to stay where they were. They have even more capital with the, the compensatory formula this year, and they may look to trade up uh, and couple of these guys well you're going to have to likely trade up given that their draft stock could continue to rise as the process continues to go along absolutely absolutely uh you know one guy that uh, on the on the american team offensive side of the ball that intrigued me was a guy uh and and i, I made the mistake of tweeting this at at brad graham and he had a clip of this guy getting rocked and uh, I, for real i i either i couldn't see it because when they again, I was in the north end zone. I was literally uh, almost by the goalposts. Uh, right. There were some things when there'd be run plays, I would miss everything that happened second level area and beyond. Um, and and he sent me a video of this guy getting rocked. It's either that or when I was trying to find shade and went and got nachos right before his uh, halftime. But uh, a guy, Torrance Osiris, uh, ah. he was a guard from Florida. Uh, yep. He did get it like Brad had a really bad rep of him just getting rocked by I think it was Dion Henley. Um, but I will say as as far as he caught my eye in the 11 on 11s of the during the American team period as far as a guy he had good feet he played with pretty good leverage at the point of attack and could get to the second level and look like he was a very good zone blocking interior lineman so again I, I'm not I don't think he he's not a guy that I would look to come in and unseat Burford or uh or Brunts or um excuse me banks but he's a guy that I think you can put in there and you have a swing swing guard or swing uh, uh, interior offensive lineman that allows Brunskill to play maybe swing tackle. They like, they sometimes like Brunskill there. He's a good right. run blocker. Uh, you know, I think he can be a depth offensive lineman there as a guy that uh, I, I felt like would fit our system. So, um, you know, I know Brad was real high on the center uh, that was there with the American team. I'm blanking on his name right now, but um and then some people really like Bergeron, the the tackle, the tackle uh, from Syracuse, you know, yeah, yeah, from Syracuse. Uh, you know, I I didn't catch a lot of him at the Senior Bowl. There, there's a lot of lot to catch, and it moves really fast. So, uh, you know, those were the things that really stuck out to me. And I think Osiris Torrance, he's a guy who, because obviously the first position I scouted for this uh, for this draft was quarterback, and. Every time I'm watching Anthony Richardson, who I have to say impresses me a good amount, uh, who, but every time I'm watching Anthony Richardson, I'm saying, God damn, the protection ain't bad. And then who am I looking right at? Number 54 on Florida's offensive line because Osiris Torrance had a, he had a pretty, pretty solid year in terms of uh, pass protection this year as well. 
Yeah, I mean he and and again he he played with good balance. His, he moved his feet in pass pro. I didn't see him just getting whooped in pass protection. Uh, and and he was playing against some good defensive linemen. You know, some of these guys are like the guys I'm talking about, Keanu Benton and Adebowo War. Okay, you know he's playing against some good guys that were there. Uh, so you know it was just one of those things that stuck out to me. I will say uh, I was very unimpressed with the quarterback play at the Senior Bowl. Uh, very <laughs> unimpressed. Oh, um, you know, uh, and uh, 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 Duggan was supposed to be the the guy down there, and he played terrible mm. on Saturday. Yeah, he, he looked he looked good in practice on Thursday, and I, and I will say looked good in the sense of that he didn't look as bad as every other quarterback that was there. Uh, right. I will tell you mechanics of say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates. That it would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. These quarterbacks was bad. Um, footwork was terrible. Duggan's footwork was the best, but you could really see, and, and this is my concern with Duggan coming out, which with whatever team drafts him, I hope is the Cowboys, uh, that um, – he he's he's not used to getting deep into reads. It was very much one to look to run. Um, that's a hard habit to break on guys. That's a really hard habit to break. Uh, I know one thing that that Kyle has talked about that really got him excited about Trey Lance was that he wasn't a one to run guy. That he was a guy who looked to get the most out of passing plays when they were there. That's one thing that we really like about Brock Purdy when we've seen him play. Is he exhausts play? Uh, Duggan was not that kind of player. I was very underwhelmed by the uh, quarterback play. I mean, they would do walkthroughs in the beginning and. Uh, I'm trying to remember who it was. It was the the kid from Washington State, uh, mm-hmm. the, their quarterback. He, I mean, he he couldn't even hit crossing routes like like that were going Damn. right. He was he was throwing them at at guys' shins. Um, you know, coming through. It was just uh, it was it was not not a good look. Um, so you know, the, they were they were not accurate during the week. Uh, you know, there was a lot of stuff there. So. Quarterback play was was very underwhelming. I don't think we're we're gonna find our quarterback number three from the Senior Bowl this year. Yeah, uh, I, I don't think so. I mean, quarterback is, I mean, these quarterbacks not too talented. The guy who you might have looked for had he not been injured was Hendon Hooker, but uh, obviously his ACL injury is there. One guy that I want to bring up, I don't know if you got to see much of him because it's an offensive lineman, but a guy who I actually I didn't watch much of the Senior Bowl clips on him specifically but i watched his tape and he's a guy who i actually came about and uh really enjoyed and it's emil ekior jr of alabama he played center at the senior bowl and apparently impressed uh scouts were impressed that he could play that versatile position he played guard uh in alabama and really i thought he was a very solid guy a guy who popped off for me what do you think about him yeah, so I'm, I, you know, I, I wasn't really paying attention to him. There are a lot of the Alabama players I wasn't really paying attention to again because right. I live 75 miles from Tuscaloosa. I see a lot of their games. Um, he was a guy I can tell you from watching their games on the year, a lot of explosion, a lot of raw power, um, and but good feet. He's a good athlete, and that's what allows mm-hmm. him to be able to play center or guard is that he's got really quick first step, so he can he can play any of the, those interior positions, uh, doesn't give up a lot of pressures. He's good to get to the second level. Now, they, play, they played a little more power man at Alabama this year than they had in the Correct. past. They had Bill O'Brien there um, who – you know, most people would know from the Patriots in many years past and 
uh, more recently, the Houston Texans. They tend to run more power man. They do run some zone, but uh, with their previous guys at Alabama, they were much more a zone running team. This year was a lot more power man. Um, and he, I mean, he's got good drive off the ball. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, if we picked him, I would not be upset. I, I was really hoping we would pick up Alabama center a couple years ago. Uh, Landon Which Dickerson. One? Oh, Dickerson. Yeah. yeah. He was my draft question that year. Not going to lie. I was I, like it, before we, we traded up and it was obvious that we were picking a quarterback. Uh, I was the two guys I was really pushing for was Landon Dickerson or uh, Asante Samuel Jr. Uh, those were the two guys I was looking for, or Patrick Sertan. I, th- I remember I was I was really high on Patrick Sertan out of Alabama as well, um, but it was Dickerson, Sertan, or Asante Samuel because those were guys that you were looking at might be in the mid first round, you know, kind of guys. Um, and so I was really in pushing for those guys. And Dickerson, man, I will say uh, when I scouted the Eagles, that dude is a monster. You want you want to watch. Yeah. Like you, you want to watch some really good guard play in this league, go put on the Eagles tape and watch Landon Dickerson, him and Kelsey are, are that duo just, was so fun. Yeah. They, I mean, like it's the opponent, but it was so fun to watch. Like they can do things that very few teams can do. I mean, they'll, they'll have Dickerson on, on power blocking, power blocking down angle blocks and then pull Kelsey. You know, you don't, you don't have many teams that can pull uh, a center. I remember, it, you know, you're looking at like Kelsey and I remember the Jets used to do that with Mawai. Uh You, you have to have a very athletic center to do that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but, but the, the kid from Alabama, you know, he pulled a lot uh, in there in, when playing guard. So, you know, that may be something that, Hey, you plug that kid into center, which may be a spot that might be open. Uh, now that gives you the opportunities and the, uh, the options to start running some of that stuff that Philly is running. So, um, right. You know, uh, and in, I really like that, that, uh, that guy and that, yeah, that prospect. I, I agree. And I mean, it'll be intriguing talking about who, who will fit the 49ers and things like that. Really cool insight from you on the draft. Let's transition a little bit because the draft is one part of the offseason. The second part, though, is the part that comes first, and that's free agency. 49ers have a lot of key decisions. We talked about a lot of uh, positions where they uh, could have needs at defensive line, maybe offensive line, maybe linebacker with Aziz Alshire likely gone and things like that. Who do you as the number one free agent for the 49ers in terms of who they should resign? Uh, you know, it's hard to say. Number one, I, as far as who's the guy that's going to be hardest to replace, I, you know, if it came down to who's the best player that's entering free agency, I would say Jimmy Ward. If it was the guy that's the hardest to replace, I would say Mike McGlinchey. Uh, and, and I know I'm going to get roasted for that. I know fans, you know, Mike McGlinchey, I talked about on my show last night. If if you're a Parks and Rec fan, just let us know in the comments because I'm going to make a Parks and Rec reference here. Um, if anybody watched the old show, uh, that there was a character on Parks and Rec that they said was was the punching bag, right? It was Jerry Gergic, Uh, If you watch the show, you know Jerry was the 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 punching bag and of the show. And I feel like Mike McGlinchey is Jerry on our show mm-hmm. or uh, with our team that. He's the guy that fans love to just beat up on, and 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 we love to ah, McClenchy, you know, uh, and and he has had some bad reps. I mean, he's put some bad reps on film. He also has put a lot of really good reps on film. Uh, you know, with McClenchy, you're getting about ninety percent good. 8% eh, and 2% really bad. When he's bad, he's it, there is no like bad, there's just really bad. And right. and and that's the the 2% really gets highlighted and it it seems like it always comes at the worst time, right? So, but if you're looking at okay, where does Mike McGlinchey rank as far as tackles on the market he is going to be one of the top tackles on the market there's there's not going there's not a bunch of tackles out there that are just way better than mike mcglinchy or even a a, 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 an upgrade in any way if you look at where does mike mcglinchy fit in rankings of the league he's a top 15 tackle in this league there's a lot of bad right tackles in this league there's a reason that they're right tackles and not left tackles um so you know 
I don't see a path for us to upgrade Mike McGlinchey. Uh, and, and, you know, yeah, I know the guy from Tennessee is available, but again, at what cost are, is he going to be available? And is that actually still going to be available when free agency comes around? You know, I, I doubt that Tennessee is going to let uh right walk. I, I think they're going to re- try and do what they can to resign him. I just don't see a, an easy path to, to improve that right tackle spot. We don't have a pick in the first two rounds. We have a lot of holes. You know, we have a lot of, a lot of guys to plug in there. You know, if you're going to be trading up for a spot, I, I don't see, I think you're talking the top tackles in the league that are in the draft that are going to be available to replace McGlinchey are going to be gone by the Correct. middle of the second round. I mean, I, 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 I think you're going to see seven or eight tackles drafted within the first uh, 60 picks. Um, you know, yeah. that, that, that's just, is kind of the trend in the, in the league people just, it just tends to always happen that way. I just don't see a path to upgrading Mike McGlinchey. So to me, I say, you have to find a way to make that work with McGlinchey. Um, and I, I think he would want to make it work, but it's, it's about how can they, uh, how can they, you know, structure the contract or the, the contract right to fit under the cap. We have 9.1 million in cap space right now. Um, I was talking with Jason last night and he, he, he projects that we may, you know, work out some contracts to, to get up towards 15 or 16 million in cap space. It doesn't sound like a lot, but you have to remember um, the league is still adjusting from COVID. Uh, there's, you know, there's 11 teams right now that are, negative like on the cap way negative too, too. like way negative look at the saints and the saints are 60 million dollars over the salary cap right now and that's because they had to kick 60 million dollars down the road from last year because they were 90 million over the cap imagine being a team that wasn't even a 500 team that missed the playoffs has no franchise quarterback and you are 60 million dollars over the cap that sucks. That's cap hell. Like that is the 49ers <laughs> of the early two thousands. Um, you know, we're not doing that bad. We're, we're only sitting like 4 million uh, in, uh, in less cap space than the chiefs. And we have 13 more players under contract than the chiefs have for next year. So, you know, it's just, um, it's a situation where uh, that I, I think they can make it work. If it was me, Mike McGlinchey. I say that's who that's the, the spot you've got to plug. You have options for things. They may not be the best options, but I do feel that McGlinchey is the one that's hardest to replace. Uh, you know, people can say Mosley, but we, we were still a really good defense when Mosley was out. He's not the hardest to replace. You can say Jimmy Ward, but we have some guys that can come in there and play. I don't think he's the hardest to replace McGlinchey to me, hardest to upgrade from there. I think that that's a very valuable point. I mean, when you talk about the right tackle position, there are a couple of things. One, you pointed out the draft. The draft, you're right. The top tackles are likely going to be gone within the first 60 picks. And when you add in positional value, well, teams overdraft at the tackle position. You saw Trevor Penning go very early. You saw, I think it was Tyler Smith go at 16 last year when he was projected to go maybe in the second round. You see tackle will be a position that's overdrafted. Now, this year does have a pretty good group of tackles maybe not the 2020 levels i don't think anything will match that but a solid group of tackles that'll likely be drafted within the top 20 maybe the top four get there but then you're going to get those guys reaching for tackles and the top ones will get off the board so to me that's where i think it's tough where if you're going to depend on the draft especially with the draft being after free agency if you're going to depend on the draft to be the place where you get your replacement because you don't know who's going to fall where and you also want that specific guy to be the man of the future Mike McGlinchey is a very polarizing guy. I'm in sentiment with you, though, that he is a tough free agent definitely to replace. And if you add in positional value, he is the toughest for the 49ers. Now, for me, in my retain board, I had Emmanuel Mosley at number one. I think the value that he provides and the contract that he should likely command fits the 49ers a little better than the Mike McGlinchey contract. And I wonder if the 49ers will bring him back at the cost because it will likely be a valuable cost. Now, while we mentioned the 49ers don't necessarily put as many resources into their offensive line, you do have to remember they paid the the, the left tackle to the highest uh, contract in NFL history. They love the tackle position. They like the center position. Those are the two positions they value the most. And Mike McGlinchey plays one of those positions, which is why they're going to be in the running for it. I think I like that situation there uh, and the, the the breakdown that you provided with Mike McGlinchey. 
Yeah, uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, if we remember um, Richburg, you know, they gave him a big contract at center. It's very much they they focus on tackles and centers. Um, McGlinchey obviously being a first round pick, a high first round pick. Uh, Trent Williams having being the highest paid left tackle in history. The big Richburg contract. They went out and got Alex Mack, who was a, a you know long serving. Uh, quality center and you know really Brendel was only playing by default they they were really thinking that Mac was going to come back for another year and you know Brendel was only there by default and he did get better down the stretch uh early in the season you know he was really man it was like we were we were one Brendel block away from a 70 yard touchdown run and we started picking some of those up in in Brendel did in down the stretch of the season is he the long-term guy at center I don't know um I I think like you said it gives you the ability to try and go after and improve that center spot. If you were, if you retain Mike McGlinchey, um, you know, I do, I do like the Mosley thing. I, I feel like he's probably going to get a, a deal similar to what we gave Jason Verrett coming off of his injury. Uh, when we brought him back about a, a five mil a year deal, and then possibly some incentives, um, maybe get him up to 10 million that you can do is like, uh, not likely to be earned incentives. So they'll, they'll get tagged on to next year's cap. If you do that. And that way we keep his cap figure to like 5 million on the year. And then you do McGlinchey as a backloaded contract, high bonus up front backloaded. And I mean, because if you're going to sign McGlinchey, he's, he wants a four or five year contract. He wants that big payday. So you, you have the ability. I mean, the cap should shoot up over the next couple of years after we get out of the three year cost um, spread out time from COVID right. And these TV contracts are kicking in. You should see the cap north of two hundred fifty million within, you know, may, probably even by next season. <clears throat> so it gives you okay. the ability to. I just wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Um, you know, and and I think it gives you that ability to to kick some of McGlinchey's cap down the road. Uh, you know, because it, it sounds crazy at nine point one million dollars, we're still like eleventh in the league in cap space. Um, you know, we're in the top third of the league in cap space. That now it's we're not the Bears who have 95 million uh because they suck. Uh, but you know, we're not in, in a terrible position. And it'll be interesting to see if we pick up if we plug some of these holes from the cap casualties. I'm wondering, you know, how the rest of these these teams are going to restructure or there are going to be cap casualties like the Rams had last year. They lost eight free agent or eight uh starters to cap casualties and things. Um are we going to see some of those? And and what are those going to be? That that's the most that's the biggest, I guess, uh, question mark going forward. And that can always change everything. Is who's going to be available through cap casualty? Because uh, that'll that'll help really kind of piece together what our strategy will be. Right, because it's not like the 49ers are the only team going through. So you talked about the Chiefs. That's one example. But a lot of teams are going to have to figure out this cap situation. And the 49ers, they're one of the smarter organizations and have figured out to how to maneuver it the last few seasons by effectively managing the restructures, not over restructuring to where you're stuck in cap hell for a season or two, but also making enough restructures to where you can create enough cap space while also being not too uh, ruined for the future. They've restructured contracts like George Kittle. They've restructured contracts like uh, Ark Armstead in the past, even Trent Williams, all three uh, they've restructured uh, all up to within the last year. I think this year though, it might be a little different. You might not see, I know numbers have floated around like 60 million potentially a 49ers could have. I don't think the number gets that high. I think they're a little more smarter, especially with, you don't want Armstead's cap hit to just continue to balloon. Williams is pondering retirement. You don't want the dead money to be on your hands if he is not going to play for you. And they can get out and save $13 million next year should he choose the retirement. I think Fred Warner makes sense given he just signed the deal. And he hasn't been restructured yet. And also Warner's young enough to where you believe he's going to be here for the next five seasons. The other guy, the obvious one is Christian McCaffrey. He has no guaranteed money left on that deal. He'll likely get restructured. And then Nick Bosa's contract extension should lower his cap hit to uh, a much lower figure than the $17 million he's projected to make in terms of cap hit for 2023. So there are a couple of moves, but again... The 49ers, how they maneuver the situation, where they choose to prioritize will be important. And a question I've been asking to my fellow guests this week, and I want to ask you, offensive line, defensive line, 
to splurge, where do you think the 49ers should address? Because they have the offensive line issues, like you said, with players being free agents. But defensively, their defensive line wasn't as strong as we'd seen in the past this year, especially compared to 2020, uh, 2019. And so where do you think the 49ers should address if they were going to splurge? Well, I, I think when you look at the the teams in the playoffs, uh, what you see is they're they're built from the trenches. You know, they're you you have the the Chiefs. You know, they have they rebuilt their offensive line and right. and but it's not like they've done that at the uh, the neglect of their defensive line. They got some good players on their defensive line. You look at the Eagles, and they probably have the two maybe the two best lines in the league with their defensive front and their offensive front. Right. I mean, year in and year out, you tend to see what the teams that end up controlling the line of scrimmage tend to go the distance. And and we like to, uh, you know, talk about quarterbacks and how much quarterbacks matter. And, and yes, you have to at least have a healthy quarterback uh, as we know, but, you really want to win. I mean, Patrick Mahomes is probably going to be the greatest quarterback in in this era. Right. And he scored nine points in the Super Bowl when he had no offensive line and the Buccaneers defensive line was all over him. Um, you saw the Bills went from a team that everybody thought was going to go all the way to they lose Von Miller and suddenly they're not the team that they were. If, to me, if you're going to splurge, I, I, I think because just look at, at the pay scales of defensive linemen and offensive linemen, your best paid guards do not get anywhere close to your best paid defensive tackles. Um, your, your best edge rushers still get paid a little bit more than tackles. They are still valued more. Um, you know, so I, I think what you're going to see is if you're going to splurge somewhere, especially with, with draft capital, always pour into that defensive line. You can never have enough really good defensive linemen. Uh, you know, Seattle during the, during the Legion of boom days, people forget that they had waves of defensive linemen that they could just keep coming at teams. And I, I remember the, the fail Mary game uh, that, I remember Steve Young talking about it, that he felt like the biggest thing that was going to be overlooked in that game because of the fail Mary was how the, as he put it, the absolute mauling of green Bay's offensive line by Seattle's defensive line. They had like nine sacks in that game. Seattle's defensive line during their Super Bowl runs were, were phenomenal. And they had, mm -hmm. they had just wave after wave of good defensive linemen. To me, you can never have enough good defensive linemen. Funny enough, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I would choose the defensive line, and I think the 49ers learned their lesson that, in a way, the, the strategy they tried to implement in 2022, acquiring a boatload of depth uh, to try and uh, really mask the – the not the failure, but the identity that you don't have a second star pass rusher alongside Nick Bosa. It they they it did it's not like it didn't work. The 49ers were still a good pass rush in 2022, but not necessarily at the elite levels that they were in the years past when the defensive line was spearheaded them to the levels of success that they faced. And they were still in the NFC Championship. I think the 49ers, I do think that they should pri prioritize the defensive line. And uh in terms of splurges, especially because it's harder to find offensive linemen in the in, in free agency, but it's not as hard to find defensive linemen, especially talented guys. The defensive tackle position has several key players that can be there. Even at the edge position, there are some valuable picks that you can go up and get. We saw it last year. We're going to see it again this year. Uh, a lot of people, myself included, have pointed out Deron Payne as a guy who could potentially pair with Ark Armstead, a guy who can be a three-down player, and maybe that's what you need come playoff time, those uh, those star players where you don't necessarily have to take them off the field, a guy who you can really depend on in those key snaps because that's what the 49ers have somewhat been lacking and what opposing teams have beaten them with. The way to beat a strong offensive line is with a strong defensive line, and the thing that we've seen in past years is that strong offensive lines have uh, been keys to uh, to opposing teams. And you're right; you've got to build through the trenches if you want to win a Super Bowl. That's the number one way to win that Super Bowl. And I think that we've seen that this year. These are two teams with very good de uh, with with very good play in the trenches. I mean, the one outlier that I could really point to is the Cincinnati Bengals last year with the poor offensive line and the since. I mean, uh, sometimes when you have that one poor side you're not going to win the bowl you can maybe make it past your conference in a weaker conference but you're not going to win the bowl and so quarterback plays important but the one thing i will end off is 
the 49ers, they understand that there's a philosophy to potentially get the Super Bowl. Utilize that quarterback on a rookie contract. Why? Because when you do so, you uh, utilize the extra resources to other positions, more specifically the trenches where you're going to look to pay uh, pay up and get as much talent as possible, be it via free agency or the draft, because that's where you can really focus on money uh, going for a Super Bowl. In the last six Super Bowls, there has been at least one quarterback on a rookie contract for one of the teams. This year, continued it with Jalen Hurts. I mean, Jalen Hurts this year, Joe Burrow last year, Mahomes two years in a row, Jared Goff in 2018, if you remember those days, even Carson Wentz, if you want to include that uh, Philadelphia Eagles team, all on rookie contracts. And so that's kind of a key to success. This, uh, you, you obviously want an elite quarterback, but having that quarterback on a rookie deal is also very valuable because it allows you to incorporate the rest of your resources into key positions on the team. I think the 49ers should look to try and upgrade the defensive line. I think that that should be a priority this free agency. Absolutely. I mean, you can even go back to Russell Wilson with the Seahawks he, when he was on his rookie deal. Look at the conference championship games. Three out right. of the four quarterbacks Definitely. were on rookie contracts or, you know, in or had teams with starting quarterbacks on on rookie contracts. Obviously, the four ers was Trey Lance and then Brock Purdy. Uh, but they didn't have a three of the four teams did not have that franchise quarterback size um, uh, cap hit, you know, mm-hmm. and and. You know, the, the and the Bills were right there. They still had Josh Allen on his relatively small thing. It'll be interesting to see where they go because next year his cap hit shoots way up. And, you know, our it did in, in it's like you say, you know, that makes a, a big deal you're seeing in this league. Um, I and I wonder how much of the strategy of teams and and I think that's why you're also seeing so many you, you used to never see a quality quarterback hit the market. I mean, even Correct. if they were, even if they were, you know, like a guy that was going to be 17, 18th in the league, uh, they were, they still weren't going to hit the market. Teams tended to hold on to them, uh, you know, no matter what. Now you're seeing every year, it seems like four or five quality quarterbacks are hitting the market and there's who's going to go where. Um, and a lot of that has to do with what, what you're talking about is the, the, uh, advantage of having a quarterback on a rookie deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And you're talking, uh, I mean, when you, when you look a little forward, right, a lot of the top 10 quarterbacks, you don't see them right now in this stage. Josh Allen was one, Dak Prescott potentially being another. Uh, Lamar Jackson's a guy who's going to get a deal. You talk about him hitting the open market. And I mean, there are a couple of these guys you talk about, maybe if you want to include the Aaron Rodgers and the Tom Brady's, uh, a lot of those guys, didn't make it to the stage because of their teams just aren't good enough. Their teams weren't comprised of enough talent because you had to make cap cut, uh, uh, cap cuts. Uh, and I mean, when I talk about it, I think you can create examples for every team. The Packers had to let go of uh, star pass rushers Zadarius Smith this year because they didn't have enough cap space. I mean, you can you can ma- mention something like that for every team. And it makes it more difficult and difficult, which is why it's that much more imperative that the 49ers capitalize on the next two years when they have their quarterbacks on the rookie contracts because that's their real Super Bowl window. Unless they restart it all over again, which will be extremely tough, this is the when you've really got to uh, capitalize and get that get get the Lombardi, get your sixth trophy. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the, the, the thing, thing about the Chiefs is almost really, really frustrating is they just seem to be insanely good at drafting. Um, you know, they rebuilt that right. offensive line. They, they really did. And they did it almost entirely through the draft. Like their, mm-hmm. their offensive line is very good. And they, they built through the draft. I mean, they got like Isaiah Pacheco who came out of nowhere. I mean, and he, and he's this super productive guy and, and they've just been able to do that. Find role players, uh, you know, man, uh, they they they're there because they don't they don't have a rook a quarterback on a rookie contract, but they got a whole bunch of other players on rookie contracts. Correct. Um, you know, so y- you have to you either have to hit on a bunch of guys on rookie contracts, or you have to hit on one guy at the quarterback position on a rookie contract. That's really how you have su- sustained success in the NFL. And you know, the Chiefs have really been able to corner that market, and uh, we hate them for it. Yeah, I mean, you talk about it. Creed Humphrey, second-round pick at the very end. Trey Smith, a guy who I wish the 49ers drafted with any of those picks. A sixth-round pick. He's a very talented right guard. And then you talk about the left side. 
um, uh, I mean, Orlando Brown was the trade, but then at right tackle, I think they still roll out Andrew Wiley. I mean, it's a, it's a young, young group of players that they have uh, over there in Kansas City, and they've been able to manage. They really have. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, great offensive line. And I mean, you know, just they, they've been able to plug guys in on defense and it just seems like, you know, they always have a pretty good defense. They're never a great defense, but you know, they're, they're good when it matters and and they got young players that play the, the scheme well. And man, they just, like I said, you, you hate them for, for, for being able to do this. Yep. 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 But Johnny, it's been a, it's been a really fun time this past hour, getting to talk to you, breaking down your thoughts on some draft prospects. For those of you guys that missed that portion of the show, make sure you guys go back and check out Johnny's thoughts from the senior bowl. And then some nice free agency talk here to end the show. Any last uh, comments before we head on out today? Man knows always a pleasure to come on. Always a pleasure to come on. I'm, I'm definitely going to have you on my channel here during the off season. It's going to be awesome. Yes, sir. And I mean, I appreciate you, but what I really appreciate is the setup behind you. I mean, that, 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 that's some, that's always a pleasure to see every time you come on the channel. But once again, Johnny, I really appreciate your time and chat. Appreciate you guys. You guys always come through uh, with fun comments, fun questions. So thank you guys as well. But guys, that'll be it for today. And we'll see you guys next time. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.